Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Really Cool People. We are super excited to introduce to you David Lewinsky, a Jewish rabbi. David is a rabbi over congregation in Park City. He has done over 12 years of school, so he's very educated and knowledgeable in the Jewish faith. And we have a really good conversation with him about um, just some of his beliefs and how they can correlate and work with the uh, people here in Utah. We loved our conversation with him and are excited to share it with you. Alrighty, hey, thank you so much for joining us today, Rabbi David. Well, we um, are super excited for today, and I, I've told my wife and, and yourself now that I'm just super excited for today because um, I'm super interested in religion, and I love learning about all the different world religions. Our podcast isn't about different world religions per se. Um, it's about cool people, but we think that people who are so active in their faith and do really cool things like yourself are are super interesting. And again, I'm just really excited to learn a little bit about yourself and the Jewish faith a little bit. So Sure. Happy to talk. Happy to talk. So how long have you lived in Utah? Have you grown up here? or? I've lived in Utah for for six years. Uh, the va- the vast majority of Jews in Utah, and there only are five thousand Jews in Utah. We're a really small community here, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of Jews who live in Utah moved here. Um, so there are communities in Salt Lake City, and there are communities in Park City, and most of them have moved here. For, for economic opportunity, for jobs, and also have moved here uh, just because of the, the lifestyle that Utah offers with all the, you know, the outdoors and skiing and the beautiful environment. And, you know, Jews generally live in cities and suburbs of cities. So this is something really different to live on top of a mountain. I can honestly say that I never imagined that I'd be living on top of a mountain. Park City is beautiful for that reason. The mountains are your home. <laughs> um, have you been involved in the Jewish, Jewish faith your whole life? Yeah, I have. And I, I think that's, that's true of, mo- of, again, the vast, majorities, mass, vast majority of Jews. You know, traditionally in Judaism, what determines whether you're Jewish, well, you know, Jews disagree about everything. So I always have to give like two opinions at least when I explain these things. Um, you know, what determines whether you're Jewish traditionally is whether your mother is Jewish. And Reform Judaism, the type of Judaism, um, you know, that I, I'm a rabbi under, um, we also accept patrilineal descent. If your father's Jewish, that's okay as well. So there is an element, you know of literally of heritage, you know, I guess genetic identity or something of the sort. So it's not um, just a belief. Um, One is, you know, by Jewish law, one's Jewish if one's mother's Jewish, no matter what religion you practice. So you could be Jewish and practicing Buddhism. And just if your mother is Jewish, you know, you're still Mm -hmm. Jewish. You can't escape it. Um, So, so yes, I was, I was born Jewish and, and have been Jewish happily Jewish all, all my life. And I practice the Jewish religion, obviously, since I'm a rabbi. Right, right, right. So being a rabbi, just wondering if the bloodlines are similar um, to becoming a rabbi, or is it like, do you go to school or how does that work? With that, yeah, you go to, you go to school and, you know, the different 
there are different varieties of Judaism, reform, conservative, orthodox, but we all share, you know, this, that essentially there's academic training that goes along with being a rabbi, you know, with the reform movement, um, you have to have a college degree and then there's an additional five years of school after college. I really like school and I was good at school. So, you know, when I was in rabbinic school, everybody was telling me you should go on and get a PhD and keep on doing school. So I did seven more years <laughs> after the five years. So I did 12 years of graduate school studying Judaism. I, I still have been in school for more of my life than not been in school. That's uh, looking forward to the day when that changes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yeah, Judaism is a tradition that really honors study and honors learning. Um, so yeah, there are, there are academic requirements for becoming a rabbi. Um, kind of, a weird question, but how would you explain Judaism to a lifelong Christian like ourselves? Sure. You know, the, the core idea of Judaism is that there's a covenant, that there's a special relationship. There's a, it's, it's almost even contractual special relationship between the Jewish people and God. And, you know, the, essentially the contents of that that covenants are communicated via the Torah, via the Bible, and via later rabbinic interpretation of the Torah. You know, what comes with that are a set of responsibilities for the Jewish people, and those responsibilities you know, fall into two major categories. We have ethical responsibilities, like most religions. We have, you know, we, we have to be ethical people, and there are rules about that and guidelines about that. And then there's also uh, ritual responsibilities where Judaism is a religion where there are a lot of different religious practices. We do a lot of different things. That's a real difference with Christianity. Christians don't do much other than go to church um, where we have a lot of rituals involved in our, in our daily lives in Judaism. You know, there's a major difference between um, um, Orthodox Jews and other kinds of Jews where Orthodox Jews um, believe in the authority of Jewish law and that you have to do it, um, where other types of Jews uh, essentially believe that all of that tradition that comes with the covenant, the ritual laws, the moral laws everybody's got to do, but the ritual laws are a matter of informed choice that we have a responsibility to educate ourselves about the tradition and we choose whether we do it. I'll give an example to concretize it. One of the rituals that we do is that every Friday night to inaugurate the Sabbath, we light two candles and say a blessing over the candles. An Orthodox Jew just does that and feels obligated to do that. And that there's divine authority behind that. Where a Reformed Jew would make the decision themselves as to whether they want to do that ritual based on whether it brings meaning into their life, based on whether they believe it improves the world and makes them a better person. So you know, generally that's you know how Judaism works. We have this covenant and then different Jews interact with the covenant you know, in, in different ways. That's super interesting because I know it's, it's interesting to see how even within Christianity and all the different um, all the different world religions, there's different elements of choice and different elements of obligation. And 
you know, there is even difference of opinion among so many different things. But I think the thing that brings us all together is the desire to be one with God, I guess. The desire to to build a relationship with some some all-powerful being that, that um, I don't know, I just think that it's interesting to see how the different faiths decide. And even within the different faiths, there are different opinions about how to build that unity with God. But I guess that's, that seems to be the main goal of most religion. Um, I would say. Well, you're talking about, you know, I call that mysticism, the the desire to experience God directly. And every, Mm -hmm. every religious tradition has, um, uh, a form of mysticism in Judaism, what we, we call our version Kabbalah. Um, and that's the, you know, essentially the desire to have direct experiences with God, to feel the unity with God. And so that's a shared space. All religions do that in some way. You're absolutely right. And, you know, all religions have a shared space of uh, sort of basis of values of some sort, an ethical basis, an ethical center. There's often overlap between traditions on what the ethical basis is. And so those are the shared spaces. And it's also important to, to realize that there are differences between the religions as well. And, and to respect those differences, that's just as important as the shared space. Mm-hmm. Uh, both are both are really key. You know, I'm I'm happy I'm a Jew and want to remain a Jew. And if it's all the same, then you know what's the point of being a Jew, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or is that's the, a good is point. Thing about being in the latter, you know, being a Latter Day Saint. Like, what's the point if it's all the same? Right, right. Yeah, they all have different different things that they focus on that are that are all good, you know. But yeah, it's a good thing that they're all different for sure. They all provide yeah, I, things. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think that to some degree, you know, religion is a is a neutral force, and it's what people do with it that's good or bad. Right. Um, there's, you know, there's incredible possibility within religion for transformation of the world and transformation of individuals, and to make people and to make the world better. Unfortunately, people don't always use it that way. Are you a rabbi over like an Orthodox Jewish faith or like um, more? unorthodox like the more casual side right i mean i'm a reform rabbi i have been an orthodox jew i was an orthodox jew for two years so i you know i experienced that variety of judaism Uh um, and 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 loved it and still have friends within that community that i study with every wednesday morning so tomorrow morning on zoom i'll be studying with a bunch of orthodox jews in chicago who are my friends you know and i do that every week um, but you know, no, I'm a I'm a reform rabbi. Um, you know, reform Judaism and you know the, the non-orthodox Judaisms really emphasize that we're just as authentic a form of Judaism as Orthodox Judaism. It's just a different approach. Right. Um, so so yes, the reality is that Reform Jews tend to do less of the ritual than Orthodox Jews. I think that's what you're getting at, you know, with the word casual. But in a way, Reform Judaism is harder because, you know, in an Orthodox, as an Orthodox Jew, you know exactly what to do. It's all played out for you, right? The decisions are made. And it's not easy to make your own decisions. <laughs> <laughs> right mm-hmm. and the responsibility that goes along with that and the you know freedom is not an easy thing <laughs> um and so as a as a reformed jew that's the difficult part is is essentially you know making that choices and taking the responsibility to build a meaningful religious mm-hmm. life 
oneself as opposed to just you know doing what you're told mm-hmm. you know so you know each it's there's tough parts about each and beautiful parts about each yeah yeah would you mind explaining what led you to want to become a rabbi yeah i mean it's just, it's it's pretty simple i think most rabbis uh it is a it is a choice essentially to become a rabbi and uh, most people become rabbis because they want to help people that's Mm -hmm. i think what it gets down to um i was you know looking looking for a way to try to help people and you know this was just a, a real obvious path and you know that that's the reality i mean there this is it is a job at a certain level right it's a you know mm-hmm calling as well obviously it's a job it's a different kind of job i don't know if you know bankers feel called to be bankers the same way that i feel called to be a rabbi right <laughs> i'm not, i'm not going to judge them you know but uh um you know what what i what i'd say is that i i find that it's i feel incredibly fortunate that literally almost every day i help somebody I make their life a little better and they let me, sometimes they even let me know, which is nice. They don't have to, you know, <laughs> That's not, I'm not doing it for the, uh, for the praise, <laughs> but, uh, but that's uh, it's, it's something, something really, really powerful. So now I know within the LDS church, there isn't clergy per se, and the bishops are, are, are called, right. Yes. And it's a, uh, it's a tough gig because they're not trained for it necessarily. They're just thrown in. <laughs> Um, but uh, anybody who's functioned as a, as a leader within the LDS church, uh, with, uh, you know, fun- functioned as a bishop, you know, understands this, understands the real power of, of helping people on a daily basis and also the difficulties that come with it. Right. It's not always easy. Yeah. My dad is actually a bishop currently, and I think he would absolutely 100% agree with you that there are days where he's like, this is the coolest thing ever to experience these highs with people that um, are like going through a really good time and different things. But then he also experiences a lot of lows with people that are really struggling and it can be emotionally taxing. And so I'm sure that you have those same types of experiences where you're like, this is so cool that I got to be a part of this special moment with this person, but also to have to watch them struggle as well can be really difficult. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I do is holding people's hands as they go through transitions. Yeah. And transitions can be incredibly positive in people's lives and also incredibly difficult in people's lives. And it it is obviously emotionally taxing to to go through difficult transitions. Uh, you know, with with other people and with people that you know well and that you care about, which is I'm sure also the case with your with your father you know in the yeah. situation of being a bishop i mean he knows his community mm-hmm. um, and that's the same same here in park city in a smaller jewish community like this i know everybody and it's uh, hard at times there is also something really po- i actually find the more difficult times more powerful yeah and maybe that's just because I've been doing it a long time. You know? <laughs> and you have a lot of training and experience. So. Yeah. So it just, um, you know, because that's first, that's where it really makes a difference. And also there, it's a wonderful reminder of, of, uh, you know, what I have, you know, that I'm still waking up in the morning breathing. 
Yeah. That I'm in a family and we love each other. You know, these, these basics that are so important. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going through those difficulties with people gives a real, uh, you, have a, you have a greater awareness of what's good about your life and what's good about life. Mm-hmm. That can be, that can be really powerful where, you know, the happy stuff, it's just, you know, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, mm-hmm. who doesn't, who doesn't feel good when they get a promotion at work? Who doesn't feel good <laughs> when they become a grandparent? You know, like that, that's easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. So I listened to the Ben Shapiro show. I'm not sure if you're aware of who Ben Shapiro is or not, but I do, I do know who he is. He's yeah. probably one of the more prominent Jews that I'm aware of. And uh, every Saturday he does this podcast where at the end of it, he ends it with some kind of a spiritual thought and he'll take, a portion of the Torah that they had read that week, and he'll kind of just give his his take on some of the things that that are on there. And I think that what he does is, I mean, in, in that regard, whether you believe or agree with him or not politically, I think it's been really cool for me to to listen to just different spiritual perspectives that he brings and and other things like that. What are some of the perspectives or principles that you personally hold dear from from the Torah or or from whatever the experiences or, or learnings that you've had from the Jewish faith have been. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that. Cause I was, I was uh, speaking to another you know, member of the LDS uh, church yesterday. who's was interested in her faith work. And she said, you know, she's been to some of our, um, some of our Torah studies, some of our Bible studies. And she said that, you know, she's just really energized by the way that, Jews approach reading the Bible, you know, that you guys have your lectionary that you run through the Old Testament every four years and you read it. Um, but the way the Jews approach studying the Bible, she was saying, was really different than the way that LDS, uh, LDS does and that she was really gaining things from it. So that I'm, I'm not proselytizing. I'm not allowed right. to proselytize, just to be clear. <laughs> it's against the rules. Um, but there's a, we have a different right. approach to biblical text, so it's interesting that you bring that up. You know, as far as, as core principles, I'll bring one up. I'll bring two up. One, you know, that is really core, that at first sight seems like a shared space with Christianity, but on, I think greater exploration ends up being a place of difference. So it's, it's an interesting one to talk about is the idea of there being one God, you know, where Christianity and Judaism both claim to be monotheisms. Um, they're monotheisms in a very different way, though. I mean, this is a, you know, a central teaching of Judaism is that um, <laughs> there is one God and there is none else. God is everything and there is one God. You know, that's that's the, the core, really the core teaching of Judaism. We don't make images of God. Um, so that's the difference with some Christianities. I realize some Christianities also don't make images of God. And so there's this real radical monotheism to a point where we talk about the unity of God in such a way that it's it's almost impossible for humans to comprehend. Our minds aren't very good at comprehending unity. You know, we, mm-hmm. we're, we are so strong in our belief in one God that at a certain point, we almost have to give up and say, I, I just, I, I can't get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Um, whereas, you know, the way that Christianity talks about monotheism is obviously very different with the Trinity where there's these, 
this yeah. whole three into one concept, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying that Christianity isn't a monotheism. I'm saying it's a different monotheism, right? Um, because you know, obviously, in in Judaism, the idea of there of there being a ruach hakodesh, of there being a Holy Spirit, or the idea of the Messiah being divine, is just completely antithetical to our conception of, of monotheism. Um, where it's obviously very naturalized in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's one real core belief in Judaism. If you're going to name one core belief in Judaism, it's the way that we mm-hmm. do monotheism. I'll just note that Islam does monotheism the same way that we do. So in a lot of ways, it's easier for me to talk about God with Muslims than with Christians. That's interesting. You know, because it, it's, it's, it's much, much closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have a prophet who we don't, consider a prophet um but you know that's not as big a big deal (laughs) as the disagreement within christianity right Right. it's a much bigger disagreement right yeah um and we have prophets we have isaiah and amos and etc so the concept of prophets isn't foreign Mm -hmm. um so so that you know that's one teaching and the one the one teaching within judaism that really drives me is the the concept of tikkun olam the concept of repairing the world there's a basic idea in kabbalah and the teachings of rabbi isaac luria and this is a really interesting idea that to some degree creation is faulted that god blew it and that's why the world is such a mess and be, and there and in fact in the process of creation parallel to it was a divine disaster <laughs> and because of this mess of a world that 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 we're living in that you know that responsibility ultimately falls upon human beings in um, partnership with god to fix it to kun alam repair the world hmm. you know so how do jews go about doing that we start with the covenant that i mentioned these responsibilities that are given to us through the torah and rabbinic interpretation of torah um, but also there's a, you know, especially in Reform Judaism, a wider definition of what we can do to, uh, to repair the world, to heal the world. You know, so I, I love the idea that ultimately redemption is in human hands in partnership with God. Hmm. It's up to each and every one of us. I find that just in, incredibly respi- inspiring. I'm not waiting for God to fix it. Mm-hmm. I have to go out in the morning and do the work. And, and, and do my best I mean, with humility, of course. And I'm not saying, I, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go out and do it, <laughs> right? <But> with <laughs> humility, of course. But uh, the, the responsibility is there. There's a saying in Perkei Avot and rabbinic text that we don't have the responsibility to finish the job, but we have a responsibility to start it. Um, and that, you know, that's really a key, key idea in Judaism that everybody has this responsibility to go out there and make the world better. And so those are, you know, core teachings that right. I find important. That's a very interesting perspective. And I think that it is really good that we're able to talk about those differences between the faiths and just see, because I mean, obviously the, the Latter-day Saint community believes the same principles of going out and repairing the world, but we don't necessarily get to that same place through the same doctrine. It's different, different ideas, and it's cool to see what drives um, your faith and, and desire to repair the world. I think that's a very interesting perspective. Um, so thank you for sharing that. That's, I, I like that. I feel enlightened, so I, I appreciate it. Being in a heavily concentrated Latter-day Saint community, what are some of the 
benefits? What are some of the struggles? What, what's it like to be a Jewish rabbi in Utah? Yeah, I mean, I'm in Park City, so it's a little different, right? right. I mean, Park, every, everybody who lives in Utah knows that Park City is different than the rest of the state. Right. You know, and the, the people, the LDS folks who live in Park City, and the, the guesstimate is it's about a third here, right? You know, it's probably the only place in Utah where you guys are a minority. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where you're not the you're not at 51 percent or more. Mm -hmm. um, um, you know, so that makes a difference. And also the LDS people who choose to live in Park City are LDS people of a different sort. Mm -hmm. um, they're choosing to live here often because of the diversity um, and and because there's a more open approach to religion and religious life in Park City than in the rest of the state. So, you know, that said, I obviously I'm not only sitting here in Park City, although I basically have been for the past 10 months, but that's another story. Right? <laughs> um, but I do go off into general Utah and, and have an idea about about how that works, even if it was, you know, to go over to the mountain creamery to get a burger in Camas, right? And, but the, uh, not a cheeseburger that's not kosher, a hamburger, yeah. clear, not breaking no. Jewish liar. <laughs> so, um, but I'll, I'll get back to the, to the subject at hand. I mean, I think that the really beautiful part of it is that the LDS church has this really strong um, moral base to it and a way of doing family and a way of doing community that is similar to the way that Judaism functions. Um, so there's a real parallel there and to live in an environment where there is that sort of shared space of the importance of family and the importance of the role of religion within family um, and uh, the important of, importance of religious ethics as a basis of how one does family and builds community, you know, that, that shared space is, is something really positive. You know, when I was in graduate school, our close friends in student housing were an LDS family from out, you know, from just north of Salt Lake, who we ended up being close with basically because they were parenting really similar to the way that we were parenting. <laughs> so work to hang out with, you know, you know, our, our kid to hang out with their kids. Um, it was just easy. You know, so that, you know, that's, that's the, you know, what I, the thing that I think is the real, that's a real positive. The other is that historically, you know, the LDS church has a, had a real love for Jews and Judaism and you know it remains so it's a easy place to live it's a place that is largely devoid of anti-semitism mm -hmm. you know so you know that makes it really comfortable as well because of the way that the the church thinks about judaism and individual mormons largely feel you know largely feel about judaism and jews um, there's even a sort of philo judaism i find that mormons tend to have a fascination with judaism for various reasons Mm -hmm. um, so, so that, you know, that makes it a, a real friendly environment. I think the, the part that is difficult is the, the sort of fluidity between religion and government in the state of Utah. And sometimes how that doesn't align um, with, you know, with the, doesn't necessarily align with my personal beliefs and my political beliefs mm -hmm. and, you know, running into that brick wall 
of 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 the of the state house and the church working in tandem at times can be frustrating and there's really almost nothing one can do about it i mean when the state house and the church agree done right faith accompli mission accompli okay so you know so that's the that's frustrating if you know to be someone who's outside of that but have to live within it is you know there's times when it's frustrating there's no doubt about it Mm -hmm. i think that's something that mormons don't realize because they're on the inside of that yeah yeah i mean i think it's interesting to have that perspective because i am a member of the lds faith and so i agree with a lot of their views and different things and so when there are things that they line up and are in tandem i'm like oh that's great that's what i believe but i can understand why that would be frustrating from a different perspective for sure i could put this a different way in some ways this is another difference between judaism and christianity where christianity the way that they interpret the apostle paul you know if we look to galatians and this idea that you know this line about the jew being the greek and the greek being the jew um, this idea that there really aren't differences the the risk with Pauline christianity is it becomes this giant sponge that's just absorbing and erasing difference and that's a real risk the risk with a religion like judaism where we emphasize difference as, as opposed to, you know, emphasizing similarity is that we become xenophobic or we become, you know, bigoted and we start to think of people who aren't Jewish as somehow lesser than us. You know, so there's risks with both positions. But um, you know, Utah is a, a good example of um, you know, this sort of fluidity between government and religion that happens in Utah um, is, you know, when the Pauline idea is mixed with state power, there's real risks. That's why we have separation of church and state in the constitution. It's just interpreted in different ways. What values from Judeo-Christianity do you think are important? um, And how do you think we can implement them in society without being bigoted or xenophobic, as you've mentioned? You know, that that term Judeo-Christian values didn't exist until the 19th century. So, you know, it, it, you know, the country wasn't founded on Judeo-Christian values. In fact, quite the opposite. It was founded on the separation of church and state. Um, and really when that term Judeo-Christian values comes to the fore is in the 1930s. And it was an effort by um, centrists and conservatives, centrists and conservatives in American politics to draw together against what they saw as the encroachment of communism in American society in the 1930s. So as the idea of establishing Judeo-Christian values, Judaism and Christianity in solidarity against communism in the 1930s. And then later on in the 19, starting in the 1970s, the the religious right has started to use that term Judeo-Christian values, you know, generally, you know, to fight against um, um, things like LGBTQ rights and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm not particularly fond of that term <laughs> <laughs> because the way that it's been used really historically has been, you know, on the left um, and has been oppressive to minority communities. It's a way to sort of erase them. 
Um, so, so, so the term itself, you know, the way I think about the relationship of Judaism and Christianity, and I mean, actually I got a PhD in this, so I can talk a little bit about it. I could talk about it for like seven years, something like Go that. Go for it. <laughs> but uh, I'll talk about it for a couple minutes. You know, the way that I think about the relationship between Judaism and, and, and Christianity is, you know, that essentially in the, in the first few centuries of the, of the common era, there was a very open discussion within Judaism about what form of Judaism was the right form of Judaism. Uh, the Jewish disciples of Jesus were a part of that discussion. And Paul came along and, and brought Judaism to non-Jews um, with his mission to the, to the Gentiles. And very quickly, he transformed it into something else, which became Christianity. You know, you know is essentially what I'm getting at is that all of us, the LDS church, the Catholic church, you know, Orthodox Jews, Reformed Jews, all of us, have an absolute claim on the Bible and to interpret the Bible and to turn it into a religion. I don't see any of them as more authentic or more real, you know, than, than another. You have your version of that um, and your way of imagining it. Um, and Judaism has a very, rabbinic Judaism has a very different way of imagining it than any form of Christianity. So at a, at a certain level, we, we do have that shared her heritage of, of, uh, of interpreting the Bible in different cultural settings. Um, you guys are doing it in the American setting. I'm doing it in the American setting. Jews and non-Jews did it in the Greco-Roman setting back in the first few centuries. And out of that, there's been an incredibly creative flowering of of religious belief and religious practice. Some of it called Judaism, some of it called Christianity. Um, and, you know, so, so that's it. I mean, I, I think that the risk is when any tradition makes what religious scholars call supersessionist claims. And that's essentially the idea that my version of this interpretation is the true version that is better than everybody else's version. That's problematic, all the more so when it's combined with power or violence, even. It's, it's a really, really dangerous game to play. You know, so when, when traditions do that, and Judaism does it too, you know, the LDS church obviously does it. That's a, that's a big piece. All new religions tend to do it. New religions have a tendency to make a claim that they're not actually new, but they're connected to something that's very old and true. And obviously the LDS church does that. Um, you know, and the risk is, is when you think that you have truth with a capital T. That's not the role of humans. That's the role of God. Only God has the truth. We don't have the truth. I mean, we have small truths with small T's. <laughs> right? But truth with a capital T? Who's got the chutzpah, to use a Yiddish word? You know, who's got the, uh, how do I translate the word chutzpah? Uh, bravado. <laughs> to, uh, who's got the, the bravado to say that you have the truth? What a lack of religious humility. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's where I, I, I think the problem comes in in all these traditions. You know, it's structurally built into Judaism and Christianity.
humanity and put the dick and to show a little bit too much bravado and think that somehow yours is your version of this is better than everybody else's where i mean come on <laughs> so i don't think my version is better than everybody else's i like my version better that's why i'm practicing it that's just a matter of that's a matter of affinity that's not a matter of truth right um so yeah th that's uh, that's where the problem comes in with uh, you know, with these sort of uh, with this with this rhetoric of Judeo-Christian, essentially, this rhetoric of Judeo-Christian values is an attempt to um, resolve the fact that everybody's running around saying, "Oh, everyone's running around saying, I have the truth." You know, we, oh, but we have the shared values, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. it, 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 you know that doesn't work for me i'd rather say that we don't have the truth yeah. and you don't need the shared values um it kind of reminds me of a quote by one of our prophets i think it was president hinckley he one time just said um talking about different religions and he just said one time something along the lines of um bring what you have and see if we can't add to it. And that's what I love about religion is that you can learn from others. Even if you have your core belief somewhere that's dear to you, you can learn from other religions. And that's what is so cool is that you do share those values and those beliefs and that you can broaden it and broaden your perspective as well. In that process. Yeah, I, I really agree. And I, I think that, you know, I, I, why, don't, why don't I close with this? Because it's a good close. There's something incredibly beautiful about learning about other religions. I do it all the time. You've heard that I've spent a lot of time learning about your faith since I've gotten, since I've arrived here. And I have a pretty good knowledge of Buddhism and, and Islam as well. You know, I've, I've studied other religions. It's a very powerful thing. And why it's powerful is that the end result of it is that it strengthens your commitment to your faith. That's why it's powerful. There's this sort of scary part in the middle that freaks people out <laughs> where you learn about things that are different. And that's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not my reality. That's not what I learned. And you, you feel rattled and it's a little scary to hear these different ideas. And, but you know, if you travel through that, and trust your faith in God and trust your commitment to your religion and travel through that and get to the other side, your faith in God and your commitment to your tradition are going to be even stronger through that experience of opening yourself up to hearing what other religions have to say. But yeah, there's that scary part in the middle, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm, I'm acknowledging it. Um, you know, so that's, you know, I encourage the people, the people in my congregation to, to do that. Um, and I, you know, that's something that I think that I can really be a, a voice for here in, in Utah is to bring that, to bring different perspectives about religion that maybe people haven't, maybe people haven't, haven't heard here. And, mm -hmm. and all I say is what I want you to do is to stay you and to be the best you. Right? That's what I want the end result to be, is that at the end of the day, the two of you, you know, by us talking about religion, are even more committed to your LDS faith and feel stronger about your belief in God. That's, that's, that, that's what I would want. So, That's great. Well, you take a very good and unique approach to um, just 
the the similarities of religion. It's very good to hear your perspective. Uh, like I said, different than I've heard before. So I appreciate um, just your insights, and I appreciate you being willing to join us and talk about your faith. And um, again, we're we're just grateful to have you. Yeah, it was I. I love talking about Judaism. So <laughs> someone asked me to talk about Judaism. Sure, I'll talk about Judaism. You're like, oh, this is going to be a half an hour. I'm like, no, you don't know the rabbi. There's more than a half an hour. Yeah, I wish you would have planned. Have fun time. editing it. Yes. <laughs> Will do. Well, we no, wish you the best. A lot. Yeah. All right. Well, the best to you. An absolute pleasure to meet you. Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of Really Cool People. If you're not following us on social media yet, you really need to. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Go follow us. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss out on any adventures from our Good Vibe Hive. We'll see you next Saturday for another edition of Really Cool People.